Welcome to this week's edition of Good Books Radio. Audiobooks.com is the chief underwriter for Good Books Radio, which is produced by UTRGV Media Services for Rio Grande Valley Public Radio. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Cook. Welcome once again to another edition of Good Books Radio. I'm your host this week, Dr. John Cook. Uh, Good Books Radio is a production of the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley as a service to the community and to public radio. With me today is Reina Grande. Her memoir, A Dream Called Home, is an inspiring story. It's really timely. Here we are recording in November before the midterm elections when issues of immigration and asylum are really uh, prominent in, in, in American consciousness. Uh, Reina, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much. This it really is a wonderful story, and I don't have a bio, but that's okay. I think the memoir will speak for itself. Uh, you were someone who uh, was born in Mexico, and you wanted to break the family cycle of, of poverty and hunger and lack of education, and uh, your father was really strong on that, too. The, the opening quote really says a lot, I think. The, the, you quoted Patricia Engel at the first of the book, all immigrants are artists because they create a life, a future, from nothing but a dream. Uh, did you find that quote uh, appropriate for the story you had to tell? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, that's why I picked that quote, because it spoke so much to me, because I really do think it captures the the immigrant experience, you know, of coming to this country with nothing, nothing but dreams, and, and you create a life out of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that let's this talk, let's really talk about speaks that. to... I, I, yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, um, I was going to say this really speaks to to all immigrants, you know, not not just Latino immigrants, but all immigrants in general. This is what they have been able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's a powerful story. And uh, book one, Twice the Girl I Used to Be, is about your experience in UCAL Santa Cruz. Um, but before we get to that, let's talk about life in Iguala and what it was like to live there in, in, in poverty and, and hunger and lack of education and all of that. T- tell us a little bit about uh, your life there. Yeah, well, my hometown, Iguala, is in the state of Guerrero, which is the second poorest state in Mexico. And there are not a lot of jobs there, not a lot of opportunities, very low-paying um, uh, jobs. And it's also a, a very violent place now. This, that's where uh, four years ago, 43 students disappeared mm-hmm. in my hometown. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult life, you know, that, that the, the city gives you. And definitely people there are living a hand-to-mouth existence. And it's a very sad place. Um, for me, being born into that kind of poverty, it, it it definitely, you know, I had everything against me because in Mexico, when you're born into poverty, you don't usually get out of it. You, you die in the same poverty you're born in because of the lack of opportunities in that country. So my father, um, he ended up immigrating when I was two, and then my mother immigrated when I was four and a half. And they came here to look for work, and me and my siblings had to stay behind to to um, to long for their return. And it was such a difficult time for for us because we no longer had our parents with us. We didn't know if they were going to come back, if they were going to forget us. 
if they were going to replace us with American-born children. So it's it's a trauma that I feel I'm still dealing with after all these uh-huh. years, that family uh-huh. separation. Yeah. Well, now, during that time uh, when your mother left, uh, you were left with uh, Abuela Edila, and that was a struggle in and of itself, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Abuela Evila was not a very nice person. <laughs> she um, she treated my siblings and me like we were burdens and we were unwanted in her house. And she would spend a lot of the money my parents sent for us. She would spend it on other things. So sometimes my siblings and I would ask each other, you know, what's the point of having our parents in the U.S.? It were treated like beggars here, and it was it was definitely difficult to to live with relatives who were not able to give us that love and support that we desperately needed while our parents were gone. So I think this is why it made the separation so much worse for us. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. There's and there's a tale you tell in there where your uncle brought ice cream and she didn't want you to have it. But, yeah. That story really touched me uh, deeply. That that was kind of sad. She made you sit there and it watch was, the ice cream melt. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was. It was a. Um, it was a very difficult memory to write about, and I wanted to include that memory because in my other book, in the distance between us, um, I write a lot about what it was like to live with my grandmother. So you you get a really good sense of what what our life was like in the other book. And with this mm-hmm. book, I added that ice cream moment as a flashback, um, just to 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 show you, you know, once again what life had been like. But that was just one example of the many many other mean things that she did. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the the other grandmother, you remember fondly, uh, Abuela Quinta. As, mm-hmm. as kind-hearted and uh, deeply religious, and that's the grandmother you knew in, in Abuela Chinta, right? Yeah, yeah, my Abuela Chinta, she's my maternal grandmother, and she was she was really, really nice. I mean, she was very poor, and when we went to live with her, we were not getting any more money from, from my father, so my grandmother had to take care of us on her own, and she was extremely poor. So there were times when all we had to eat was a tortilla sprinkled with salt, and that's mm-hmm. all we got. And but but she gave us so much love, you know, despite the poverty that that we were living in at her house. She gave us a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Now the time comes when your father hire someone to help you cross and he first considered just bringing the older siblings and not you because you were nine and he was afraid you couldn't make it easily but eventually decided to include you and you crossed three times before you finally made it to stay in California right yeah yeah my father um yeah at first he decided he was gonna bring my sister Mago then he he also said okay I'm gonna bring Carlos too and when he came to me, he said that I was going to have to stay because I was too little to run across the border. And he felt that I wasn't going to be able to make it. And I had to beg my father to not leave me 
because just the thought of being left again was overwhelming. And not only just being left again, but also being left without my sister, you know, and and the only reason why I had survived those years of separation was because I still I had my sister with me and she she did her best to look out for me and now my father wanted to take her away too and and I couldn't bear it. So I, I begged him and begged him to not leave me and I finally convinced him to bring me along. And of course, once we got to the border, I realized that he was right. You know, I I was very little and I kept slowing down the group. I would get tired a lot and my father had to carry me on his back. And then the two times when we got caught by Border Patrol, I felt so guilty because I thought it was my fault that I didn't run fast enough. And then the third time we tried it again, but at night, and that was really scary because we couldn't see anything. But that was the, the time when we finally succeeded in crossing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been really interesting because now I, my daughter, she's 10 years old, which, which is around the time when I crossed. And it has really given me a different perspective on my father because when I was, when I looked at my daughter, I, I would ask myself, like, you know, could my daughter survive what I did? Could she cross mm-hmm. the border? And I realized that because of what my father had done, I, I never, I would never have to make that decision. You know, yeah. I will never have to take my daughter to the border and expect her to get across. Um, and I feel so, so thankful for my dad for what he did. And I know that we made a lot of sacrifices and, and we suffered a lot, but but the suffering ends with me because my child, my child will never have to go through that experience. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's a wonderful part of the story. Your father uh, really wanted to drive you in breaking that cycle to make sure you got a good education. He and he valued higher ed. He expected perfect attendance and straight A's from you during during school before you got to college. Uh, but there's this Jekyll and Hyde personality because despite the fact that he was so supportive and helpful and a, a really hard worker, uh, he had problems with alcohol and occasionally uh, was, was abusive. Yeah, to me, that that's really one of the biggest tragedies in my life is that my father had so many good qualities that, that I admire. Even to this day, I admired how hardworking he was and how he had such high expectations of us and he pushed us so hard to, to give the best of ourselves. Um, and, and those are things that, that I really appreciate about my dad. But what really breaks my heart, too, is how, you know, he was an alcoholic. And and he had a very violent temper, especially when, when he was drinking. So my siblings and I, we, we lived through a lot of abuse at home. Mm-hmm. And and that makes me sad because I know that later on, you know, when my father, my father was diagnosed with liver cancer and, and he changed so much. Like he, he wanted us to be with him all the time. He would call us a lot and, and um, he just became such a different father from the one I had grown up with. And it mm-hmm. broke my heart because he died within a year after he was diagnosed. 
So cancer made him into the father I had been longing for, but cancer took him away from me so quickly that I didn't even get to enjoy that, you know? Mm-hmm. And now, during that time uh, of abuse, when you were in the community college, uh, it was so tough that you, uh, your mentor uh, at the community college, Diana, invited you to stay with her so that you could complete your uh, two-year college degree. Yeah, that 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 I think that was such a one of the best things that ever happened to me, and like even to this day, I am still surprised when I think of it because I feel that my teacher really went above and beyond the class description. Um, mm-hmm. She she wanted to help me, and and I know that as a teacher, she had seen students who would drop out of school because of all their their uh, family problems and she cared enough about me to try to help prevent that and and i appreciate that so much you know that she opened her home to me that she guided me and mentored me and made sure that i transferred and that i she she put me on the path to the path that i needed to be on in order for me to to um, accomplish my dreams of, of, of higher education and having a, a career. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's, let's describe that, that life in, in Santa Cruz because that was a, a far cry from life in the concrete jungle of the Los Angeles megalopolis. When you got there and saw the, the, the beauty of the, the redwood forest and the idyllic setting that uh, UCAL Santa Cruz is in, that was quite an interesting time, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Los Angeles is this huge city, mostly concrete, not that many trees. And then I went to Santa Cruz and it's the complete opposite of Los Angeles. Um, it's all, it's the, the university is built in the redwood forest and you walk around campus and you see deer. You see all these trees, banana slugs. It's just, you know, you're immersed in nature. And I had never had that experience before. And it was just a wonderful place to be, especially for someone like me who 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 was damaged in many ways, you know, emotionally, psychologically. I needed a place like that to, to help me mm-hmm. heal from, from that experience. So, um, so that's what that's what happened while I was there. I I, I began to heal. I began to uh, become my own person, and I began to to fight really hard for for the dreams that I had. Mm-hmm. Now you had some great experiences there, and, and that, uh, but you also had some challenges because it, you became, as you put it, hyper aware of your brownness. Uh, the first place you went to look for groceries, a co-op had uh, what can only be described as liberal Northern California type food, wheat germ and tofu and couscous <laughs> and granola and no tortillas. That must have been an interesting day what was available. <laughs> that definitely was a culture shock for me because I had never heard of tofu in my life. I had never heard of like dairy meat that was meatless. I didn't even know what that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all these things that were new to me, soy milk, all of that. And I desperately wanted some comfort food. You know, I wanted Mexican food. And um, 
And then I went to the other market in town and it was the same thing, all this like weird food and even tortillas that were green or red because they had added like spinach and tomato to the dough. <laughs> and and um, that was so strange to me. And when I was on the bus, I was feeling so alone and I was feeling um, that I didn't belong in that place. And then all of a sudden, I see this Mexican market outside the window, and that was a big moment for me because I knew then that I had found that one place where I would find home. Mm -hmm. So this was a wonderful time for you in this idyllic setting. You were honing your skills as a creative writer. You were working on your novel, Across a Hundred Mountains. you also um, got connected with a, a, a folklorical group there, which made you feel more at home as well. Yeah, yeah. When when I discovered that there was Mexican folk dancing going on on campus, I was so shocked because I would have never expected that in Santa Cruz. I never. I mean, I, I had not really seen a whole lot of Mexican anything. And then I found out that there's Mexican folk dancing going on. And I joined the group, and it was just such a beautiful experience um, to to connect to my culture in that way. I had never been exposed to Mexican folk dancing, and um, when I discovered it, it 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 helped me to find something to celebrate about my culture, and to to something new and different. Um, I, it was also by joining a group that I met more immigrant students or, or children of immigrants. And that also made me feel more connected to the campus and the community. And yeah, I mean, you know, once I, when I graduated from the university, I even started a little group at the school where I worked. And I inspired a new generation of kids to um to love dancing Mexican folk mm-hmm. dancing now yeah. I want to note that while while you crossed undocumented, you subsequently gained your green card and eventually citizenship, although it got lost in some bureaucratic paper shuffles, you eventually gained citizenship, and your time working in the l a school was was really challenging with those eighth graders who were as tall as you when you introduced yourself as Senorita Grande, and they said, can we call you Senorita Chiquita because they were taller than you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, oh, man. You know, working at the middle school was really scary because I did not go to college to become a teacher. I, I never even took a class on education. And, well, you know, majoring in creative writing doesn't necessarily prepare you for a real job. So I couldn't find work anywhere. And I heard that the this, the school district had a teacher shortage and they were hiring anybody who had a PA. It didn't matter in what. And mm-hmm. I went in and I applied and then they trained me for one week and then they threw me into the classroom. And, you know, and it was a challenging um, classroom. It was... Uh, inner city Los Angeles, halfway through the school year, and my students had had five different substitutes by the time I arrived. So definitely, 
and I was shorter than, than them and, you know, and I just felt so insecure in every single way, every single way. And of course the students noticed that right away about me that, about how insecure I, I was and they took advantage of it and they, they pretty much did whatever they wanted. And I had such a hard time, um, um, ruling over the class, even though I'm supposed to be the big queen, definitely I could not do it. It was, it was, it was one of the hardest times in my life. I think being, being in that kind of During that time, uh, you, you did get a, a chance to teach sixth graders who were much more interested in learning, but they returned you to eighth grade. And at the time they adopted a policy where as long as you got D's in English and math, you could advance to high school. And so there was really, not much motivation for the eighth graders when you returned there. So that made it tough. But fortunately, someone told you about adult education, and you went uh, to get certified so that you could uh, teach adults English as a second language. Yep. Yeah, that, that was actually really good advice from my teacher. She, um, she encouraged me to, to switch over to the adult school as soon as I got my credential. And that's what I did. And um, it was actually such a beautiful experience to switch over because once I started working at the adult school, it gave me an insight into my into my parents, you know, into um, into what it was like to work with uh, with adults, with parents and to hear their stories, too, because they would share stories with me about the children they had left behind and the struggles that they were dealing with and trying to to stay connected to their children, even though they were back in their countries. And so it gave me an insight into into my own per, um, parents' experience with immigration. Mm-hmm. And and I liked it because um, the students, the, the adult students really wanted to be there and they worked so hard, even though they had, you know, been at work all day, they still came to class ready to learn. And and I loved that. I loved being able to, to be there for them and to help them achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in your story, there is a couple of times when you become enamored of some man for a while and then realize it's not the right relationship for you. Um, but in this adult ed situation, you met Corey, um, mm-hmm. and that was a big change in your life. Yeah, um, I, I, one of the things that I write about in the book is how my father, the relationship I had with my father really affected the, um, the relationship I had with other men. And one one thing I did I did fall into and, and I hear this happens a lot. It's very common with women like me who, who have complicated relationships with their with their fathers is that we end up and looking for love in the wrong place and trying to find our father's love in, in other other men. And and yes, I did. I, I had a lot of really bad relationships. And finally, I was able to break out of that cycle, you know, and and to finally have a relationship with the man who was not bad for me, who was not like my father, and and who who could who really valued me and 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 treated me very well and respected me, and um, 
and and didn't add more drama to my life, which was really important. Yeah. It was interesting because he first connected with you as a, as a fellow teacher, and he was interested in the fact that you were writing a novel. Um, but he got to know your uh, life in Iguala by visiting your family with you, and you got to know his life in Racine, which was a very interesting time, I'm sure, the first time you'd ever seen snow or felt that cold in your life. Yeah, that was really funny because, um, you know, I was 29 years old and I had, this was my first time watching snowfall and it was so magical, you know, to be in this place and it was literally white America, right? I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. everything's white around me and everyone is white around me and um, I was feeling a little out of place and scared but it was also a beautiful experience, like my first time um, making a, a snowman and having a sled ride and a snowmobile ride. And um, it was it was a, a very magical experience. And I love the part where you uh, go to pick a tree out by cutting down a, a fir tree. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's something that I would have never done in in L.A., never, you know. Mm-hmm. This is, there are no tree farms around L.A. like that. I was, I was interested in how gracious his family was to you. He had a girlfriend when you first met him who was uh, studying abroad to finish her dissertation, and yet they seemed to welcome you into the family and wanted to get to know you and uh, just were really friendly and nice. Yeah, that's something I really did like about his family, too, that they, they were very, very welcoming, and especially his mother, you know, she was just so lovely with me, but especially with my, my son, um, since since the moment that that they met us, you know, my, my, my son was just showered in love and attention. And and they've always, I mean, to this day, they've always been very, very kind to to both my children, just kind and loving. And I appreciate that so much, you know, because my mother to this day, she she's she's very distant. She's not exactly a, a, a very good grandmother. Um, so sometimes it makes me sad, you know, that because she's so distant and removed. My children are, are, they don't really have much of a relationship with my mother, but with my mother-in-law, it's such a different story because she is very kind to them and very loving. So I'm glad they have at least one good, one good grandmother. (laughs) Part of your understanding of your mother came though, when she was selling things in your yard and, uh, (laughs) you, you saw her, uh, with her dog, Wero. And uh, when the dog misbehaved, she would hit him, but then she would be very nurturing to him afterwards, saying she hit him once when he ran out into the street, and she said, you could have gotten hurt. And so you had the mix of the abusive mother and the loving mother seen in the way she cared for her dog. Right, right. Yeah, um, it's, you know, that's something that, that I really like to explore about my mother is these contradictions, right? She, she she can definitely be a very um distant and and unloving 
And then at the same time, she can love a lot. And I actually experienced this with, with uh, my, my youngest brother because my siblings and I are not very close to him. My, and this is my half brother, you know, that she had with her, with her other husband. And through the years, we've just never been close to him. But I think part of it is that although my mother was very removed from us and she, she just was not very loving with the four of us, we saw her being capable of love with my little brother. Mm-hmm. And she, she loved him too much to the point where I think she maybe she damaged him in a way with too much love, you know? Um, so, so I see that the, the contradictions of my mother all the mm-hmm. time. And, and definitely that moment that I write about in the book with the dog was one of those moments where I could see how she could love and hurt at the same time. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, this is this is a great read, Dream Called Home, especially for uh, my friends who are listeners in the Rio Grande Valley. You would probably find this a heartwarming story, and the awarenesses that Lorena shares with us uh, in, through the course of the book are, are really uh, fabulous, and uh, I recommend it very highly. I remind our listeners that if you don't catch our program, uh, at its regularly scheduled time on the radio, you can catch up with us on our YouTube channel, Good Books Radio, Strong and Cook. I'm your host, Dr. John Cook. Thanks for listening, and make it a great day. <laughs>